0: If the law doesn't work, then we have some questions. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. If trying to keep the commandments doesn't save anyone, why did God give them? If the temple sacrifices didn't truly cleanse anyone's sin, why all that blood? And if the priests descended from Aaron were, at best, imperfect, then what purpose did they serve? The author of Hebrews has elevated Jesus so high above the old covenant system that we may start to wonder whether it had any value at all. Here's Jim to explain.
1: Someone came up after our study last week and made the observation, now wait a minute, if the temple and the sacrifices and the priestly system in Jerusalem and the temple were unable to provide salvation, and if the whole theme, one of the themes of Hebrews is that you dare not turn from Jesus Christ and go back to that system. If that system is default, then why would God build the temple again? Uh, A very good question. Let me answer it quickly by saying to you that the whole business of that period of time in earth history we call the tribulation, That's what God calls it. That whole tribulation period is designed specifically, specifically for the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. Did you know that? Matter of fact, if you go back to the book of Daniel, uh, chapter uh, 9, Gabriel's telling Daniel about that future time, and he says, hey, Daniel, listen, God has purposed to invest Seventy-sevens. 77s. 70 sevens. We understand that each unit there is a year. There's 490 years that God has planned on His calendar to deal with your people, Daniel, Jewish people, with your holy city, Jerusalem, and with the temple. When God's finished that 490 years, here's the six things He will have accomplished. It's Daniel chapter 9, check it out. Here's my point. When the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, it will not be because the temple system with the priests and sacrifices will have suddenly become efficacious, it's because God is restoring that system in that unique period of time, seven years, the 70th week of those 70 different seven-year periods. You following me? And that's why Daniel is told that one of the things that must happen is the temple must be rebuilt during that period of time, and must be active, and it'll be a vital, dynamic, temple thing. It won't just be artificial, play-acting, superficial. It'll be dynamic, and that's why he later tells us in the book of the Revelation, that during the first three and a half years of that seven years, during the first three and a half years, there'll be two world-famous prophets, both of them Jewish, Jewish, like all the other prophets of the Old Testament, like John the Baptist, like Elijah. And those two witnesses will have supernatural power for three and a half years. It's a Jewish thing, and from their response or their ministry during that three and a half years, 144,000 Jews, Israelis, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, will be saved, sealed, signed, And they will be God's primary missionaries on the earth during the last three and a half years of that period. Now, why would God do that if the temple system is defunct? Well, the temple system was only designed to point to Jesus. Remember that. As a matter of fact, when the writer of Hebrews tells us, and we're going there again in just a minute, that Jesus is our high priest in heaven, he's using imagery from that experience, that, that, that institution. The institution was flawed. Let me give you Paul's statement about that. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. The law means both the institutions of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, all 633 of the commands of the Old Testament covenant, that's the law. And also with the law was the tabernacle, that was also established under the law, as a part of the law, a part of the system of the law, because people reading the law quickly discovered they were lost. They were sinners, and they couldn't measure up to the standard of God's expectation. And so the tabernacle, later the temple, was God's means of providing a probationary method to both draw people to understand how God can forgive sin, and that He would do it through the sacrifice of another, the Lamb of God. See that? Now, the same thing is true. That seven-year period, that last of the seventy-sevens, that last period, first three and a half years, temple will be functioning, two witnesses will be preaching, 144,000 Jews to be saved, sealed, sanctified. Then the two witnesses are killed, and the temple is desecrated. And Antichrist himself goes to the temple, and trying to steal the power of that imagery, he will have an image of himself placed in the Holy of Holies in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. What's he trying to do? He's trying to say, I am that God. That's what he's trying to say. Okay? Track? Kapish? Yes. Remember that the tribulation period is called the time of Jacob's troubles. Remember that during the tribulation period, the church is not on earth. Church is in heaven. We're gone. Remember that during the tribulation period, there are two distinct halves. In the first half, two Old Testament prophets appear supernaturally, dramatically, and have a profound global ministry. Out of that ministry comes 144,000 Jews who become missionaries, who during that second half of that seven years will be hunted down like dogs and animals. And were it not for God's intervention. They would be killed. God uses the same instrument. God uses the same package. God uses the same system to reach Israel during that last seven years of God's planned agenda for that nation to fulfill his promises made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses. Elijah, Isaiah, Daniel—all Jewish. Church isn't here. Jesus returns, destroys the Antichrist, institutes his kingdom for a thousand years. You know what they're going to do? Going to build a new temple. Yeah. Going to build another temple. Read about Ezekiel. The last eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel talk about, and describe this magnificent edifice. What's its purpose? Well, they're going to have sacrifices. They're going to do offerings. They're going to do celebrations just as they did in the days before Jesus and the days when Jesus was here and during the first half of the tribulation period. It'll all be there in the Jewish temple, and it will be Jewish. It will be Jewish. What's the purpose of that? Same thing it was back in the days of Moses. David, Daniel, Jesus, and during the first half of the Tribulation, what's the purpose of the temple? It's to teach people the fundamental concept of why you are lost, what sin's really like, how far sin separates you from the Creator's ideal and intent, and, To remind you that you can't save yourself. That's what the sacrifices will do all during the millennial kingdom. And one other reminder during that thousand years and that other temple, that other new temple for a thousand years, during that period of time, unless you really, really, really rebelled against the king. The only death, the only death you will see during that thousand years will be the sacrificing of those lambs in that temple. Each death reminding all the citizens of earth that the only way you can find forgiveness with God and be cleansed from your sins and escape sins penalty, the only way you can do that, only way, only way, is through a substitute, paying your penalty, dying in your place for your sins, and animals can't achieve that. But the animals each remind the Lamb of God. And every sacrifice and every symbol in the temple was intended to do just that, to point to Jesus, the Lamb of God, and to condition people so that they would trust Him as their substitute and receive from Him the full, final, and perfect forgiveness of all of their sins and receive life from Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Got it? The temple and the priesthood served a very important purpose, but it, it, the temple, and the priests, and the sacrifices could not forgive men of their sin. They can only point to the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who alone can take away the sin of the world. Hebrews chapter 7. And let your eyes roll down, please, to verse 11. Hebrews 7, 11. If then perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, or under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise in the order of Melchizedek and not be described as being in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. And the writer then goes on to define Jesus and tell us that Jesus is not Levitical. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, a whole different tribe. And under the law, under the Levitical system, Jesus was not qualified to be a priest at all, let alone a high priest. Impossible. And yet God said in Psalm 110 through the the prophetic ministry of David that he would appoint one to be high priest after a different order, not the Levitical order which was required and regulated by the law. But this new priest under the order of Melchizedek, or according to the law, according to the uh, course or the priesthood of Melchizedek, would operate not on human law, Levitical law, the law of Moses, but rather his priesthood would flow out of the power of his endless life. And having made that argument, the author then raises this question. Why, why was it necessary to do this? Why is this an important topic? Why are we even discussing it, and why did it find place in the book called Leviticus? It's because the law, the Levitical system, verse 11, verse 11, it's because under the law, which the people received, the Levitical priesthood was incapable of making people perfect. Look at verse 18, the previous commandment is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable. Verse 19, for the law perfected nothing. Mm, kind of meditate on that a minute. The law, the law that was given by God at Mount Sinai, perfected nothing. It was incapable of producing the transformation in the heart and life of the people to be able to become perfect, to become like God intended. And the law perfected nothing. Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do, it could never make, the law could not save anybody because it was weak through the flesh. It was weakened by man's fallenness, by man's sinful nature, by man's choices, by man's deceptive, fooled condition, believing as he did the lies, of Satan himself. So the law, the law, the Levitical law, with all the sacrifices and temple and all of those things, it could not achieve the purpose of making the worshipers who went there, even those who went there and did it faithfully, could not become perfect under the law. So we need a different system, we need a different priesthood. We need a priesthood that functions after the power of the life of the high priest. That's what he's saying. Verse 18 again, the previous commandment is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable, for the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced. What's the hope? The hope is that God will provide for Himself a lamb that God will provide for Himself one who can satisfy His holy law and at the same time provide death for the sins of all those who are sinners. That's the hope, that God would send a Redeemer, and that's the hope that pulsates through the whole Old Testament. People looking forward to God sending a redeemer, God sending a savior, God providing what we could not do for ourselves and what could not be done for us through the priests or prophets or kings or through our own self-effort. That God would fill that gap. God would provide a lamb. And in that one, provide all that's necessary for us to be fully forgiven. That's the whole. Verse 20, none of this happened without an oath, for others became priests without an oath. That is, the Old Testament Levitical priests became priests just by function of the letter of the law. And by the way, there were priests and high priests that were terribly wicked individuals but they served in the function of high priest and priest because the letter of the law appointed them. You read some real bad stuff back there. Conduct by people who were functioning at that time as high priest or as priest, even as prophet, even as king. The Levitical system was set up to provide a system knowing that the people who would function in the system were not themselves perfect. That's what that passage is telling us. It's telling us that others became priests without an oath, but he with an oath made by the one who said to him, the lord has sworn and he will not change not change his mind you are a priest forever verse 22 circle this one so jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant what's that mean the guarantee that means jesus himself becomes the sacrifice Jesus himself becomes the guarantor, the securer, the provider. Jesus himself becomes the one who provides this basis, this dynamic of the new hope. Through Jesus himself, who he is, what he did, where he is, through those qualities of Jesus, God provides a guaranteed salvation. So our hope is not based upon wishes. Our hope is not based upon effort. Our hope is not based upon securing favor with God through keeping laws, regulations. Our hope is based upon nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Well, if that's true, then we need a new law. We need a supporting document. We need a new treaty with God, between God and man, that's based upon Jesus and what he did for us and who he is on our behalf. We need a new covenant, and from this point on, the next part of the book is going to discuss that new covenant, that new treaty. But the argument here is, verse 22, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant, a better law, a better system than the Levitical tabernacle, temple, animal sacrifice system that had been an operation
0: in Israel for hundreds of years. God will provide himself the lamb, Abraham had prophesied. And between that pronouncement and its fulfillment, there came to be an ongoing demonstration of what that would be and what it would mean. But when God's lamb was slaughtered, the symbols were no longer needed. Jim calls this message, a priest who lives forever. If you'd like to have the entire sermon on CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. It's part of our series known as God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. That's available as a CD album. The 19-disc set is yours for a contribution of $66 or more. It was 1968 when Pastor Jim started preaching on the radio. The world was desperately in need of light from the Word of God, just like today. And back then, Right Start was supported by ordinary listeners, just like today. Please pray about whether you could become a link in the unbroken chain of ministry to the ministry. Thanks. If you'd like to help, find us on the web at rightstartradio.org. Making a donation there is easy and secure. And on the site, you can hear this program again, or many others. And you can play or download complete sermons by Pastor Jim. Explore the podcast option. You'll find a link at rightstartradio.org. Or mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437-437. Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA, or just call 1-800-984-2313. Again, it's 800-984-2313. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. If Jesus is your high priest, then your salvation is unerasable. Some of the best of the good news is coming tomorrow on Thursday's edition of Right Start.